Have you ever wondered if it's possible to live in sync with your cycle instead of against it? Do you struggle with a negative mindset around sex with your spouse? Are you wondering if it's possible to live a full, healthy life without using contraception? We're going to explore these questions and so many more in the Managing Your Fertility podcast because this is about helping you live a whole and full life. I'm your host and guide, Bridget Busacker, joining you in the journey of exploration related to women's healthcare, sex and intimacy in marriage, and everything related to fertility awareness. Are you ready? Let's get started. I am so glad you're on the journey with me. Welcome back to this three-part series. If you have not listened to the first part of this conversation, you want to have that. I give an intro of who Dr. Tim Paul is, and I'm also giving you a little bit more preface on why we're talking about marital debt. Additionally, the questions and the structure of our conversation build off of each other, so you definitely want to go back and listen to part one if you have not. If you have, welcome to part two of this conversation. Let's jump in. I want to tell you about one of my favorite Catholic shops, Be A Heart. I started following Erica Ty Campbell when she first launched her business, and I fell in love with her products. She creates such beautiful pieces that allow me to have reminders of my faith life throughout my home. And now she includes pieces like the Marian wristlet, scrunchies, blankets, and PJs for the kids. Her creativity astounds me, and I am so thrilled to be an affiliate with her business this year. If you're interested in trying out one of her products, or maybe a few, you can use my code to receive 10% off your order. Go to www.beaheart.com and use Managing Your Fertility, all one word, for 10% off your entire order. So is this a translation issue for us? What was Aquinas really getting at? Yeah. You know, we started talking about this, you know, we're, you know, we, yes, we've talked about it. You're giving us a really good framework here and, and depth of discussion, but I think, I think there's still a part of me that wonders like, so why, why are people getting so hung up on this? What's going on? Yeah. Well, I guess I don't think it's a translation issue. I think Paul's got in mind the following sort of situation. The husband or whoever, I'll just stick with the husband. The husband is feeling strong desires. He's feeling sorely tempted to go act on them in some immoral way. And there's a real threat due to his lack of self-control that he will go do something like commit adultery if he doesn't have sex with his wife. Part of the reason why Paul gives marriage as a concession is to provide a non-immoral mechanism for satisfying those inordinate appetites which cause them to burn. The spouse, all things being equal, should act for the sake of helping the other spouse avoid sin. I think that's my obligation. You know, It's part of my duty as a spouse to help my wife become more Christ-like, more virtuous, and less vicious. But like all non-absolute general principles, like for instance, though, you must rear your children, you must perform good works of mercy, the obligation isn't to do this at all times, no matter what circumstances. So we need to choose prudently, weighing the options in each particular situation. The prudent weighing of options and choosing the good doesn't stop at the bedroom door. It's not like everywhere else in my life I have to stop and think and weigh the options and weigh the goods, figure out what I ought to be doing, what will be beneficial and detrimental to the people I love. But then once you get in the bedroom, it's just cold cut. If if he asks, then I must. That's that's just bonkers. That's not the way it is. It just seems like there's a scrupulosity at play here because we we aren't having discussions like this one where it's like, let's, let's get into what has Aquinas said, 
what has what is St. Paul trying to tell us and actually like have build out a larger framework to understand and make sense of this because like you said it doesn't just stop at the bedroom door to be prudent and to weigh out okay when does it make the most sense to do this how do I choose it's it's a freedom in choosing I think it's mm-hmm. that okay we're going to choose this together any more than we choose to perform works of mercy <laughs> or yeah. you know to to raise our offspring you know whether you know in kindness or through I don't know corporal punishment vicious behavior whatever it might be there the the prudence doesn't go out the door yeah and that's just something i'm i'm thinking about it as you talk about this like why are why do we struggle so much with this idea of scrupulosity or this sense of obligation without thinking about it like what would this actually mean if i were to have this approach of if if my spouse asks i must I don't get to think about it. We don't get to talk about it. It like somehow this particular aspect of marriage is just, oh, it's hands off, pun intended, because it's not. And we like we're not, <laughs> and we're and we're not actually going to talk about what is the prudent choice here. You know, it's like people getting freak, freaked out about NFP that it's like too accurate, or it's 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 too uh, safe to use, and you're not trusting God enough. It's that it gives me that same flavor of thinking where I'm like. Yeah, but God gave you a brain. He gave you free will and reason, and he needs you to participate in your life and in your marriage. Yeah. Yeah, the people who say um, it's it's not an act of trusting God, I mean, they still have car insurance, you know, like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> it's again, it's like when it stops at the bedroom door. It's like, why, yeah. why are we stopping there? There's yeah. so much goodness that can come from being prudent in the bedroom too yeah yeah prudence is a cardinal virtue it's it's a virtue which is always and everywhere there for us it's not something that's relegated to a particular sphere of our lives like the non-bedroom spheres of our lives and the same with temperance you know like there are some views of marriage upon which um you got to be very temperate with respect to sexual desires until you get married and then once you get married it's just whatever you want whenever you want it mm-hmm. and you think well that what else functions like that? Like in the world, what else functions like that? And the answer is nothing. Nothing else functions like that. It's a it's an alluring lie that if I just hold my breath a bit longer, I will suddenly be able to breathe and do whatever I want to. And since when is the world like that? That's a really good point. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> it's just so straightforward. I love it because it's just, <laughs> yeah, where else, where else do we do this? Or, you know, we could try and it fails miserably you know, because it doesn't work. So it's, it's just like, well, then why are we, why are we trying to apply this to sex? If it doesn't work in other arenas, why do we think that somehow magically it will work in this space? Yeah. I don't think there's a rational reason for it. I think it's a desire-based reason. It's, I want the pleasure. And then I retroactively try to figure out um, some sort of justification for why I can get it. And I think that's what's happening here. Yeah. So why do you think and we're starting to touch on this, but why do you think this gets misinterpreted or misunderstood so frequently these mm-hmm. days? Yeah, well, it, this is a great question, and I fear I know so little about it because I'm I'm not really on social media, and most of my academic research is primarily on other issues, not on this particular issue. So I don't I don't know much about what people are actually saying about it out there in the wild. Uh, I just know what I found in Aquinas when I read, when I went back and read it. Um, but here's some guesses I have, and you could tell me if you think they're right or if you think there's more to it too, I'd love to hear. Mm-hmm. But I think 
in some cases, some spouses are they're fearful of sinning. So they, they read or hear about the marital debt and they fear that they aren't doing what they need to do if they decline sex. And they fear sinning if they decline for any reason at all. And here I think the causes could be a one, it could be a healthy fear and a desire to seek holiness as described by the church. Could be that. But also, and I think perhaps more common, it's probably scrupulosity, like you mentioned earlier. I think that could be it too. Um, it's like a great fear of screwing up um, a legalistic code and ignoring the value in relationships that the code is supposed to be there to bolster. You know, the, the code is for the relationships. The relationship is not for the code. So I feel like it's a it's a misfire. It's focusing too much on um, the person's beliefs about what the law obligates them to do in the bedroom and not enough on the relationships which the bedroom is for building. Mm, yeah, I think I agree with you. I, I think there's a lot of fear I think some of it could be, like you said, I think some of it could be a healthy fear that, that some people are, are wanting to make the best decisions and and make sure that their marriage is strong. I think, and I think there's an unhealthy fear too, but I think that sense of fear seeing, I think how high divorce rates are when we mm -hmm. see culturally that, you know, we see the rise in pornographic use of materials, whether, you know, visual or literature. Um, I think seeing the challenges so much right now with human sexuality and that we're grappling with questions of can you a woman become a man um what does it look like to be in relationship for two men like there's so many aspects to human sexuality that i think it, it's it's almost as if we're going in the opposite direction of a pendulum swing that catholic couples really want to be so holy and so not a part of the culture and what's taking place but it's becoming so obsessed and legalistic it, it yeah. is it's it's like about the law or the rules and i think that's where couples struggle when they say you know humanae vitae it's not enough i don't want a rubric i want a list it's like well the church is not going to provide you a list because this is where your faith life comes in your prayer life as a couple the discernment the skills of discernment mm -hmm. that you have to figure this out for your own marriage because if we believe that we're made unique and unrepeatable persons our marriage is also unique and unrepeatable and so what yeah. will work for you or what you discern as a serious reason could be a very silly reason to someone else, because yeah. that's just how that works. <laughs> like, again, like in any other space, it's like, well, I'm, I'm able to and have zero issue with alcohol at a party and I can have a couple of drinks. And I'm great. And I'm enjoying my time. And for someone else, they cannot touch that because that will become the focus or could potentially backtrack them in their journey to becoming sober. So it's like, well, it's just, it's different. And that doesn't, um, somehow, you know, again, the idea of it's not in the bedroom to apply that logic and that reasoning that it, it's there as well, because we're not talking about issues of licit and illicit acts. Um, we're talking about, I think, you know, within the context of a Catholic marriage where, you know, we're following the quote unquote, the rules like PIV, penis and vagina, we're engaging in sex together. <laughs> we're ha like, it's, it's good. It's all good. There really aren't that many rules, but I think somehow people think there are more and somehow they're not being communicated to us. So that's my long winded response to that first point. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I think you're right. There, part of it is, uh, well, let's see, reactionary often has a negative context, but it, it is reactionary in so far as I see what's happening and I want to be faithful. And so they, they try to stand firm on what's the revealed truth from God. 
But you got to actually know what God said to know what the revealed truth from God is. And for that, you can't just, well, for that, you have to actually look and think and not turn your brain off. And so see what Paul says, see what the fathers that you trust in the church have said about it. Uh, later, we might talk about a, a papal encyclical, see what the popes have said about it. And this particular issue, not very much. The church has said very little, I think, on this particular issue. But yeah, that's what you got to do. So you asked for the reasons. That, one reason was the spouses being fearful of sinning, I think. The, the reasons why um, this this topic gets misrepresented or misunderstood. I think there's another reason, too. And I think it's some spouses are inordinately drawn to the goods of sexual satisfaction. Some some spouses have lost. That's a deadly sin. And so they might throw everything at the goal of getting sexual satisfaction. Pouting and general coldness and guilt trips, both natural guilt trips like I have needs and theological guilt trips like God says you have to. And what they do is they just anything that looks like a lever to get the good they desire, they pull that lever. And one lever for some people that's very effective is um, our Lord whom you love has told us you ought to do this. And out of gratitude to the Lord for the good gifts he's given you in your life, and out of obligation to the Lord as he's a, a just lawgiver, you should be doing this. That's very moving to some people. And if I think if someone who's lustful sees that, he might well um, use that letter a lot to try to get what he wants. So that's another reason why it might be misrepresented. I, I would agree with you. I've, I've seen... Um... I don't know that I've seen it for, you know, like firsthand where I have couples reaching out regarding that. Um, but more so anecdotally, um, whether through books as examples that someone else, you know, collecting data for a survey around like what's going on in marriage, a sense for, um, where does the sense of, of you have to, um, and I think at the root of it, it is lust can I get want and ways our spouse potentially struggle or in what ways is my spouse? Um, I think tend to be um, certain arguments tend to move them more emotion so that I, that I want to fill. And I think that goes for both men and women. Cause I think sometimes because right now we, we have a focus on um, and I don't think it's a wrong focus, but I think sometimes it's lacking the both and that complementarity of saying both men and women do struggle with this. Um, it's not just men asking this of their wives or trying to um, guilt trip or manipulate. Women also do this with their husbands. And I think to see that um, at the heart, like I said, and you've said lust is at the heart of this, the, this desire to manipulate and get what we want. And so it's like, well, how do we root this out? Like, what do we need to do? Yeah. Relationship because it's toxic. Yeah, I agree with you. So we were talking, um, and this all came up this podcast series at an event for a labor, mm -hmm. our labor movement that we're in. And I started talking about this idea of obligation sex, duty sex. And I was like, tell me more about the marital debt because you know so much about Aquinas. What are your responses to this? Like, how do we, um, how do we have some real life examples around like how we think about this and weight this, this idea of, Oh, I have a duty to my sex, to my sex, to my spouse, regarding, mm -hmm. but what does that really look like? Because like you said, it's not, it's, it's not 
oh, I require this of you. You require this of me. So when I ask, you must. And and we've talked about that. So what is what is your response to how we how we uh, build a framework for this and think through how we make sense of sex being an important part of marriage? And it's a and it's an awesome part of marriage when it's cultivated well. How do we do this and make sense of it when we hear this language of obligation or duty? That was a yeah. really long worded winding question, but <laughs> here we are. <laughs> no, it was great. It was great. Yeah. You had um you had asked me about this at that meeting. And I, I had said there, um, I think one thing that's beneficial is to just weigh other obligations that we have. So I said there, consider the Sunday obligation we have, or obligation to, to worship at a Sunday mass. I mean, it could be a Saturday vigil, but it's, we call it the Sunday obligation. It seems to me that that obligation is stronger than the marital debt obligation in many ways. So, I mean, for one thing, it aims at our supernatural end in perfection, while the marital debt aims at a natural goal and a lack of sin. And the Sunday obligation aims at a spiritual good, whereas the marital act aims at warding off Satan's temptations. Fulfilling the Sunday obligation brings me to the source and summit of the Christian life, unlike the marital debt or the marital act. The Sunday obligation is owed directly to God, whereas the marital obligation is owed to a mere human, etc. So I think there's strong reason there to believe that the Sunday obligation is at least as weighty to us as the obligation to the marital debt is. But now note all the permissible reasons we have for not fulfilling our Sunday obligation. Note that, you know, if you're sick, you can stay home. If your children, you think, are more likely than not, not faking their sickness, you can stay home. You know, if you're caring for an infant, the catechism says, you can you can stay home. So there's all sorts of reasons why we can miss the Sunday obligation and it'd be morally permissible. And the church has given us some guidelines on this. If you can miss the greater obligation, for such reasons. I think it stands to reason that you can miss a lesser obligation for similar reasons. Maybe not the exact same, uh, because, you know, reasons for or not for going to mass are different than reasons for or not for having sex. But generally speaking, if the greater debt can be um, missed in virtue of legitimate reasons, so much the more so can the lesser debt, is my thought. I would agree. When you provided that analogies we were talking well i don't know would it be an analogy i think so i think so yeah um, um i it, it made it clicked for me in hearing that and thinking like okay yeah if we have all these these legitimate reasons where we can miss mass which is to go and worship god and thank him for everything that we have i mean like the the best thing we can do every week and thank god for the breath in our lungs mm -hmm. well sex is not more important than mass it's just not and I think, I, I wonder if some of the confusion around this, I think there's two part, there's, um, I think we, we can carry a lot of guilt around like, oh, I have, or potentially shame. I, you know, I have to go, I have to show up. I have to do this. Maybe there's, uh, you know, we, you know, we, we hear like fear of hell versus like, it, it's yes, that's very, hell is real, but how much more motivating for love of God rather than fear of hell. Um, and then the second, I think because, um, and not to fault it, I think a lot of the language around theology of the body is amazing and how people have share, have been sharing it in the past years and um, tying uh, sex with um, different aspects of the mass, you know, mm -hmm. like 
I think, and I wonder if that is what creates sometimes more confusion for people where some people are in awe of it and they're thinking, wow, sex is amazing. Like expression of the mystery of the Trinitarian love. Oh, the canopy at, um, on the altar is like the canopy of a bed. And this is so beautiful. And I think for others, it could create this source of stress and tension and potentially this, this burden and thinking, uh, I guess they're the same. So I better show up and do this because this is really important. And if I'm not experiencing the Trinitarian love, uh, this is really bad. And I forgetting that, like we're body and soul. This isn't in the same way with the mass. We are participating body and soul in the mass too. It's not, it's not that one is higher than the other. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe, share with your friends, and help expand the conversation around women's health. If you're loving the podcast, could you please leave a review? I want these conversations to get into the headphones of more men and women to invite them on a journey of wholeness too. Thank you so much in advance. It means so much to me. You can find more support for charting, instructor guidance, guides, courses, and more by visiting my website, www.managingyourfertility.com. You can also find me on social media at Managing Your Fertility. And don't forget to subscribe to my email list for exclusive content and weekly conversations. Thank you so much for being here. Until next time. Thank you helping next generation of women like me. Thank you.